Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I want to get everyone's opinion on this. Um. It seems like yeah, like everyone's super bearish. Um. In terms of yeah, like how they're seeing the market is, and like I, I called you know like our team members and various people on this. I'm just wondering if that's because, um. Yeah, like it's the volatility that's like kind of throwing people off, or it's like something more. Maybe it's like, yeah, traditional market doesn't have a lot more ammunition anymore, so maybe that's why people are bearish. I am. I also don't know. Like, it, it seems like the, the people are generally pretty fearful. Um, and I. Tend to take that as a good sign, but I don't know. Yeah, Garlem, are you at a musical right now? Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, like I, I was like, yeah, that's why I was like worried about the background noise because they're they're playing these like a uh, insane Christmas music at the WeWork. <laughs> it sounds like, just, like you're at a musical. <laughs> yeah, it's just like or constant. Like a, no, it's been driving me nuts. Are you, are you watching the Nutcracker right now live? Yeah, it's just, it's just driving me nuts. Yeah, it's like not the mood that I want to be in right now. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't do TA, so like all my opinion is just based off of you know what I feel, <laughs> which means nothing. So don't go off of what I say. But um, I, I don't think we're. I don't think it's over. I think we'll probably go back down to maybe like forty two k. But then I think there's still gonna be a. A big pump after that. I, I I think we'll get back to the 60k range. So I'm not worried. I'm not really selling things. Um, I'll probably lessen my uh, exposure to super low cap alts. Um, but you know, as far as like ETH and stuff like that, I'm not really concerned on selling because I'm here for the long term. But Luke knows TA. What do you think, Luke? I sold everything at 42k and then I bought it back. <laughs> okay, so Luke doesn't know TA. Um, what about you, David? Back to you, David. <laughs> I bought back at 41, 51 and a half K. Well, I'm so smart. Amazing buy, buy the top, sell the loads. That's what I do. I feel like if you're trading at this range, it's just you're going to get chopped so badly. Because, like, yeah, the, the, the volatility is, like, 10%, 20% a day. It is crazy volatility. Don't time the market. I, I learned the hard way, and uh, I'm not doing that again. Yeah, so, I mean, we've had, like, higher lows on the daily, I think, in the four-hour. I mean, uh, lower highs for quite some time now, like, ever since 69K. Um, I kind of haven't broke the trend. And then I think on the daily, we just rejected from, uh, like, the 200 EMA. Um, let me just double-check this real quick. Yeah, I mean, TA and overall, like, macro structure, like, I, I kind of want to talk about, you know, like, I, I, I'm, um, I also don't want to, like, talk about the market too, too much. But it's, like, at, at this point, like, everything is kind of, like, dependent on you know like how the market does right so it, it does feel like um 
it does feel like it's one of the you know like the macro topics that's kind of you know basically kind of root or umbrella all these other subtopics because like you know like who's talking about metaverse right now with the markets like this right I'm sorry, what was that at the end? You kind of, like, cut out. Oh, no, like, I'm saying, like, who's talking about, like, metaverses or GameFi's when the, when the market's like this? Oh, yeah. Like, no, that, yeah, like, all I see on Twitter is just, like, people who are, like, either we're going down, we're going up. <laughs> it's like, I don't see any, any like, info. Like, just people, like, and, and like, I see this with, like, uh, downtrend markets as well, where people just start fighting. <laughs> like just they just start fighting each other like everyone's so like on the edge so it's like everyone's like fighting each other right yeah i mean i that's kind of what we're in the market like it's kind of what everybody does in the market right we're all kind of like yeah. to each other so yeah so like, like, like i kind of want to know yeah I, like i, I don't want to also like just completely focus on the market, but also at the same time, just, yeah. Um, I guess go over some of the, like, the highlight points. Um, uh, Kimchi, um, do you want to, do you want to, like, uh, get some, give us some insights on, like, what you're passing? Yeah, so then I think last time we spoke, I think Bitcoin was about 51. And then I guess the talk was about 3AC buying all that ETH and what does that mean yeah. for the markets as well as what's happening with the Omicron. So I think the points that I made is, again, when it comes down to any big fund, no one really gives out free alpha, right? So if there's a reason for announcing something, whether it's like a purchase, selling, like there's a reason behind it. So that's why I asked the question, you know, they may have bought that much ETH, but you don't know if they're hedged on the option side, right? Or other things, right? So that one, so as you can see, you know, maybe, you know, it wasn't just a clear, you know, naked uh, purchase buying of ETH, right? Because if you take a look at the market coming back down, um, but also the other thing that I highlighted was um, take note to what happens on the Omicron front. So the initial... Um, news, uh, after the Omicron happened, you had the knee-jerk reaction of it crashing, right? And then for a few days, you had no Omicron news, right? They're like, oh, you had one guy who quoted saying, like, it wasn't going to be that bad, right? And then I think started a few days ago, there was cases that were kind of erupting in UK, etc. So I think what happened was, is that, again, you have to kind of understand that just like, you know, in crypto, everyone kind of controls the news and influencers. That happens in Main Street as well. So if hedge funds wanted time to kind of sell their equities and things like that, they would kind of let markets to kind of calm down. Um, and they'll probably like block any news that comes out regarding Omicron until they've kind of positioned themselves before the news, whether it's them protecting on the downside, buying puts or selling a couple of these um, equities and rotating over. So now you start seeing these Omicron news, right? And 
like with the Omicron stuff, I don't think that it's going to be a big deal in the end, but it doesn't really matter because I guess if the news is out there, I think when it comes down to like the government agencies and things like that, when it comes down to governments, um, they're a lot more conservative and risk adverse when it comes down to anything decision-making. So this comes with regulations, uh, financial regulations, um, they're super just conservative. Um, so what that means is that even with this Omicron, even if it's not a big deal, they're going to make it a big deal because you have every time you have holiday season coming or like a big high traffic, whether it's in the U.S. or whether it's like Chinese New Year, et cetera. What's been a, a pattern for the past two years is that the government will kind of scare everybody into the holidays. And whether the numbers are fake or whether there's real cases, I mean, I'm not going to kind of speculate on that. But a pattern is that before any big holiday, they start like locking stuff down. And then for that specific holiday, they kind of allow people to kind of meet. Um, and I think they're just being conservative because they know that human people, like no one listens to the rules, right? So um, for them, their only tactic is to scare. Um, so if if they're trying to avoid a, a worst case scenario of during Christmas, like everybody getting Omicron because no one's kind of following the rules because of the relaxed rules, it's better for them to kind of stay ahead of the curve um, kind of push up the bad news and then maybe just like right before uh, Christmas they kind of uh, re like re uh, like be more lax on the rules right so that's why I think you know regardless of it's serious or not I think they're going to paint a serious story before um, into Christmas holidays so the market right now, again, they're all just kind of looking at Omicron news just just from a fear tactic. So that's why, you know, the macro here gets quite interesting. And I think if you take a look at I, I think I mentioned on last call that assume like the big the big guys who kind of run the biggest crypto funds, they have access to um, like what happens on the equity side. So you had BTC kind of top off before market started topping off. Right. So you had like a big update in um, S&P and but then BTC fell right from 51. And today you had S&P fall and then BTC fall. So that's kind of like a clear indication that like the people who kind of are running the biggest crypto funds were basically unwinding their long trades um, into what they expected would be a pullback on equities. So I think right now, I mean, again, like I still think that we kind of consolidate around like the four like 40 to 50 range i mean i think maybe just 45 50 but um next week is fomc so um depending on how nasty stories they want to push the omicron plus the taper that might be enough to kind of correct the markets um but this cycle kind of reminds me of the time when we were around at 30k when everyone thought that the game was over uh, but at the meantime, you didn't know, but the institutions were all basically buying up all the Bitcoin they could at 30K. So I think, you know, you might see a similar situation where from 40 to 50, you just see institutions just consolidating while like retail keeps selling. So if you take a look at the biggest loser 
um, just within the past six months, I think has been retail. Ever since we had that first corrections from 60 to 30, and then we had that bounce and then from 69 back to here, I think the biggest loser has not been institutions because they haven't really been selling. Um, it's actually retail because these liquidations, even even after the big bump, like I was surprised at how many liquidations were happening from 52K down to 49K and then from 51K down to this level, which means that retail, I don't know why they keep on um, margining like long so excessively because um, those are the guys that are probably getting liquidated. And if you take a look <laughs> at who's trading Bitcoin, et cetera, these guys are people who basically probably flipped ICOs, flipped NFTs, who just got a lot of easy money and they're just trying to trade the markets and hence like that leverage. And, you know, who's making money on the other side? It's probably, you know, some of these big funds, um, whether it's on the institutional side or like some of these big larger players, but I think like the biggest loser right now has been like the retail. So the other thing that's quite interesting to me is that, you know, Bitcoin and crypto has always been kind of a new type of paradigm where like the retail for the first time is making money and then they're selling into the institutions. Right. But now, like, it seems like the game is starting to change where I think, you know, slowly, gradually, like the institutions of smart money are actually um, taking a lot of the coin away from the easy money that was made from a lot of the retail guys. So what, what that means is that, that that's better from a long-term bullish perspective because a lot more smart money is in. But again, like the story narrative has changed in regards to, oh, like Gen Z kids, et cetera, or kind of like the rich kids, et cetera. But slowly, a lot of that money has been kind of leaking and going into the pockets of the institutions. Yeah, I I know why people have been longing all the retails because um, it's up only. It's like the up only culture. Dude, like people like for the longest time, people were just doing like GM and just up only. Like that's all I saw on Twitter. Yeah, so and you like, take a look at the influencers, right? I mean, some of the influencers are fine, but I think like at least 90% of them, they've been asking like the retail and they have a lot of followers to basically, oh, this is the bottom, this is the bottom. And it, it, every time it, it ends up falling, um, which means that these retail um, folks that are following these accounts are pretty much uh, losing money um, on the way down. Um, instead, you know, they should just buy spot for the long term versus trying to uh, make easy money. But again, it's it's because of the easy money that was made from a lot of these um, players that participated in these launch pads. And they're just kind of gambling it away right now. So. Sorry, I think I got caught up. Uh... Oh, I, I, have, awesome. I, I, I really like that um, retail kind of uh, over-leveraged perspective that you, you talked about, David, because um, I track this, like, the Binance uh, long-short accounts ratio, and I, I think it's it's perfectly, like, describes what you, you said. It's like the OI has been super high, and then in this liquidation, you can 
like clearly tell that it's like small accounts got liquidated while large accounts like um it's not like you know oh it's just regular now it's not like people are opening new positions um first so it's, it is clearly liquidation and like um so many more like total accounts are now uh you know a lot of the loss got closed so the ratio is a lot lower per account but then the total amount is not like it's that big a difference so i really yeah like that point is is pretty clear and i think it's this behavior has been um observed i i, I learned this on twitter but like uh since um the may correction like throughout like march till may oh i was very high like historical highs at least on binance and then that was a period where you know the accounts ratio also went insane so all the retail were going in and then the reset really brought down the accounts ratio but uh that was that was um yeah the like i i don't know why it's happening but it's pretty clear signal and it's the second time now that it has uh, given as a warning signal so um yeah i i i don't know specifically why it's happening and like we also like talked about it a lot um how is it still happening but it just seems that retail is going nuts yeah, because I mean, when you look at open interest, right, like this past crash to 43K, yeah. it basically reset the R up open interest. Like it's mm -hmm. it's pretty good now. But yeah, what doesn't make sense is that, interest. yeah, what, what, doesn't, what doesn't make sense is that if it's so flat now, right, why are people continuing to get liquidated when, um, when like BTC goes from 52 to 50, right? or 50 to 49 and now 48, which means that retail is very good at chasing. Yeah. Like retail crypto, <laughs> they're very good momentum traders, where right? they yeah. basically follow, which means that they do really bad in a sideways market. Um, uh, so I think like the big crypto big funds, big. the crypt crypto funds know this. So they basically, what they do is that on a big crash is they'll buy as much as they can, right? Because later on, once they kind of start doing the tweet storm, retail chases it and it becomes like the exit liquidity. Um, because the, the retail guy will never dive in head first. Like they won't buy that big crash versus smart money and smart guys will do it. Um, and it's the total opposite. So they basically, like retail, like likes to buy. You know, when it keeps going high, and then when it when it goes and sells and crashes, that's usually when they sell. It's like it's just kind of like amateur um, trading, and that's just because a lot of these guys are not real traders to begin with. Um, they just kind of are normal to kind of an up up market. So they make the most when it keeps on going up because they just kind of keep buying everything, um, even on dips. But on a sideways market, it's usually when they start like losing half their uh, money. So um, during the first correction from 60 to 30, it's not just like, um, like these retail guys on Twitter, but a lot of traders like lost like half their money during that um, mm -hmm. correction, right? So even in this one, um, I'm guessing like more money 
has been lost, which means that it's just like a poker table, which means who got all that money, right? And it's probably some of these largest crypto funds, as well as these institutions that basically buy, uh, you know, crypto on the cheap and things like that. So um, I think there's like a, a theme that's happening in terms of like this wealth transfer effect from the retail, the guys who bought Ethereum early, Bitcoin early, like these kids, they're like um, slowly losing that money to the institutions and the largest crypto funds. That's, that's really good insight, actually. The fact that uh, there were even more liquidations on this uh, bounce because uh, the retailer is so used to just going ham on every dip when it actually begins to look like chop there they they lose with that strategy so that's that's actually really good insight um does if you take a look at the liquidations when we crashed from 42 and bounced to 50 there was not that many short liquidations right which means that you know these guys like no one's really kind of like shorting which means the only guys that are out there are just basically longing um, after it bounces, and then the liquidations happen when it comes back down. And they're probably they're probably trading at anywhere. They're probably trading at ten x, right? If if I'm seeing this many liquidations when Bitcoin goes down Love at least one thousand, yeah, yeah, that's probably what retail is trading, thinking like whatever the fifty k is like the bottom, and we're going higher. Uh, whenever you have like a drawdown of like about two k, that's you know, um, yeah. I don't know. So I think it's about ten x ten x plus that these retail guys um, are trading. So again, you know, in this market where institutions are not buying, right? Like I don't really see. I mean, there's some OTC calls that were happening during that crash, but I think institutions, if they to come in and buy, they'll probably buy like in January, right? Because as a fund, you need to file um, an S1 filing, which kind of shows you that you bought Bitcoin, right? So if you want to, if you don't want people to know that you bought Bitcoin, then you don't file at the end of the year. You, you buy it at the beginning of the quarter. So this is another reason why I think I was talking to... Um, Garlem about this, and during the 30K correction, I said the institutions will not buy June. They will buy July because if they buy June in July, the report will show X fund bought Bitcoin and everybody would chase, which means they can't acquire more Bitcoin on the cheap because everyone chases it, right? So for me, if I ran like a big, you know, $20 billion fund, like I would just wait to buy in January versus December. That way nobody will know I bought until April. Yeah, yeah. The timing makes sense as well, right? In in chops, like they're they could play these more to because they have all the time on their hands. They're they're more longer term and they can't get liquidated. So they're not <laughs> they can't get liquidated for sure. Yeah. So they just they chop is best for them, right? So, um, yeah, you chop yeah. everyone out. Mm -hmm. Basically, like, yeah, no one has capital anymore. <laughs> and then basically, like, you can do with, like, uh, whatever you want with that and liquidity. 
So I think it was like during the crash on Friday, there was an institution that sold 500 million Bitcoin, right? That's pretty much kind of all it took for the market to go from what, 57 to like 43. Really? Right. It's only of, of course, that wasn't the, it was 500 mil, but that was just one institution. Right. But I'm guessing after that institution was starting to sell, like other people found out and started kind of just following the trade or just kind of getting ahead of it, which means that, you know, we on, from a daily volume perspective, like 500 mil is nothing. Right. Which means that, that seller on the 500 mil probably knew what was going to happen if he did this. Um, and, you know, maybe like that's the same institution that bought up the crash as well, um, which means that he'll probably want to do it again if he could, if he had that opportunity to basically, you know, buy 10% plus cheaper. So um, I because right now from a macro standpoint, everything's kind of pointing negative because of the Fed as well as Omicron. Your leverage is basically um, pushing it down versus pushing it up. So, um, I, you know, again, we'll see. I just think it just consolidates sideways for the moment. Uh, I have a question I've been wondering. Um, so are you only tracking like Bitcoin when you mean like try to get a gauge for how the overall crypto market is doing? Do you track ETH at all or is it no, yeah. market cap? Yeah, I look at price? ETH as well. Okay. Because I've been, it's been kind of mixed signals, right, for Bitcoin and ETH and, and I'm not sure if I should be even only looking at Bitcoin's price or like maybe total cap or Bitcoin and ETH together. So so I look at Bitcoin, I look at ETH, and then I look at the top altcoins like Solana, AVAX, like these ones, like yeah. the top kind of high flyer altcoins. Yeah. Um, and again, I think a lot of people are talking about this ETH BTC. And when you take a look at Ethereum, the like Ethereum, the thing is, is that so much of Ethereum is like staked into DeFi and in terms of mining, et cetera, that it's very easy to move ETH price. So like you can swing it 700 points easily, right? And that's what's been happening. Like 500 points is like nothing. Um, so... If you take a look at ETH, okay, everyone talks about ETH BTC, but okay, so why are the other altcoins falling down then? Right? So it doesn't really match the story. So which means that when it comes down to liquidity, BTC has the most liquidity than ETH and then the altcoins. If I want to exit 100 mil on, on ETH, on BTC, it's quite easy. ETH is a lot harder. Altcoins is like almost impossible. Like it takes me like a couple of weeks or a month, right? Which means that like if I wanted to max ROI my exit on an altcoin, I have to make people think that the market is going to keep going up and buy the dips. So what do I do? I kind of hold the ETH price. So it may cost me money to kind of you know buy oh. ETH and hold the price but at least uh, you know the market will think and again like on twitter everyone's talking about ETH BTC and they keep buying like these altcoin dips and why does it keep going down these altcoins which means that they're probably exiting 
right? Um, just what just understand that because so much of ETH supply is staked, it's quite easily to move the price um, of ETH. So that's why I don't really to put too much credit on ETH BTC because, um, like again, it really comes down to how much money you could uh, exit on your bag of one of these top coins versus mm -hmm. your ETH. So because some of these top high altcoins have gone up so much, um, your ROI on exiting that versus your cost in, you know, um, like putting a floor on ETH may be from a net net positive perspective better. So um, that's what you should, that's why I look at BTC. I look at ETH and I take a look at the top um, altcoins in terms of what's kind of like happening okay. in the market. Also, do you guys think of, you know, like the market itself, like the, the way they're, the way everyone's kind of looking at the crypto market right now is like, you know, because we had this uh, market based in 2017-18 and, you know, like a lot of people have PTSD from, you know, like the blow off top and then followed by like an insane bear market of like, you know, like two, three years or four years, whatever. Um, is like, do you guys think like the market structure is similar where it's like Bitcoin is still like that? Because I feel like a lot of these... Um, a lot of the underlying, like, sort of like the flip-flop, flip-flop of like, oh, I'm, a, I'm like hyper bullish today or like, oh no, like I'm poor today. Oh, like I'm rich today, I'm poor today, whatever, right? Like this whole narrative, um, I feel like is based on like a lot of, a lot of the, I guess like the history from 2017, 2018. Um, so I'm wondering if that's still the case on everyone's mind. Um, or like if the market structure is a little bit different where it's like, okay, like, you know, it should be treated a little more reasonably where it's like, you know, just because it, 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 goes, up, it goes down 10% doesn't mean it's over. Also, if it goes up 10%, it's like, it doesn't mean that it's like, you know, it's like the beginning of new all-time high. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, like it people have like opinions about this uh I, I was i was kind of basing it off of like ETH, you know strength to and also you know bitcoin losing its dominance um to like kind of back a little bit of uh this time is different and like uh else could decouple but now looking at I'm looking at right now the um, it, the Bitcoin dominance, right? Potentially breaking down, but if you side by side look at how how much ETH individually is doing well versus like all other else, like it looks like just ETH is dragging that up. So I'm actually not so sure of that anymore. I I, I think it's. I think we feel that like people know a lot more outs now um, and doesn't feel like um, it's, oh, you get into Bitcoin and you get into outs, et cetera. And then 
that way, but I I don't know after hearing David's thoughts on like how he could be just kind of um um like a signal effect to hold. Um, I'm not so sure about that anymore. But I I do think it's not so relevant to always say the time frames are uh this and this like it's gonna be blow off top and etc. I I think. Just statistically, it doesn't really make much sense to use that as like good information, right? But yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of wondering like the market structure and like yeah, if it's still like you know like if but like five hundred mil can like kind of crash the market like that, I feel like it's like just a self fulfilling prophecy. Uh, but maybe yeah you know like we're at a market structure of like a market maturity of like where you know just because you know like um yeah just because it, 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 it it's like down it's like it's going to be down for a while or just because it's up like it's going to go up to like uh you know like what people have been saying like 100k like 150k some ridiculous levels right so yeah, like wanted to kind of like do a sanity check um, because like I, I myself feel like I kind of fall in the um, bias or paradigm, um, you know, once in a while where it's like you know, like things are going down. And it's like oh no, like you know, like this is the start of the bear market and things are going up. It's like oh yes, like you know, like we're gonna we're gonna finally get like touching it. So it's like, yeah, uh, I feel like, yeah, it's just, like it's, it's good to do a sanity check, I guess. Yeah. yeah, I haven't felt like we are in a bear market that kind of like 2018, 2019 kind of level for like two years now. And even in the 30K range, it lasted three months. Technically, that was bear market, but didn't feel like that. And maybe, I don't know, that might have hurt me a little. Like, if I were a little bit more fearful, I would have stayed put until it, like, actually clearly got above the moving averages, et cetera, the really obvious stuff. Um, but uh, it feels like there's just more often chops now and not as long. Right. People, right. yeah, whenever, whenever it's down, like, quite a bit but not completely that yet people are expecting it to be dead and then whenever it's up again people expect it to just continue to go up for a year and it seems like neither case are happening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah um yeah do we want to discuss some of the um agenda i guess like yeah like maybe pick out a couple of ones that could be relevant um in in like today's today's market and then Maybe discuss some of those. Yeah, so I think we were kind of talking about ETH BTC. Um, there's kind of like lots of people calling for like a flipping. Um, and yeah, then kind of like one of, one of the biggest reasons why is like just the sheer buy pressure from like the, their inflations. Um, so like Bitcoin needs $1.5 billion of buy pressure monthly in order for it to sustain its price now. And Ethereum only needs, uh, like a hundred million dollars monthly 
um, depending on burn rates. So people are saying like, if we do go into a bear market that like Ethereum is going to um, outperform because it just has less buy pressure, essentially. Um, and less sell pressure from miners, I guess. Um, mm. Yeah, I think this is kind of a bigger narrative that's kind of uh, coming back up. But I think uh, David kind of highlights that this is kind of, you know, the institutions kind of pumping up Ethereum to exit the rest of their other positions. So, um, yeah, it could be kind of a false signal and kind of more of an impulsive wick up. So just I... just to kind of interrupt you really quickly. So when I mean by institutions, uh, so the, the the people I was referring to is not the institutions, but like the top three crypto funds. Because institutions don't buy altcoins, right? They only have like pretty much BTC and maybe like a, a little bit of ETH. Um, they don't really have like you know Axis Infinity on their balance sheet, right? So. So when I'm referring to like the big funds, I'm just referring to like the top crypto funds. Um, and then for institutions, I'm just kind of referring to like the people like Paul Tudor Jones and, you know, Guggenheim and these other guys. Okay. Thank you for the clarification. Um, and also on this flipping um, narrative, we also see that like, Punks and Bored Apes are, I think Bored Ape Yacht Club has started to catch up to punks. Um, and we're also seeing kind of the Bored Ape Yacht Club starting to call for like a flipping um, on punks. So, um, yeah, I, I think NFTs have performed well these last couple weeks uh, also. And I think they've kind of shrugged off uh, a lot of this bearish market. Um, but I don't think we have an NFT person here to help confirm that. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, didn't uh, ZeroX NFT just bought like a punk for like ten million? Oh, I thought that was a meme. Um, yeah, no, so I thought punk, that was real. Punk uh, forty-one fifty-six, I think he sold yeah, uh, forty-one fifty-six. Yeah, he sold his uh, punk because they're uh, Larva Labs has um like he has an issue with their copyrights around uh, larva labs so um yeah he sold his punk and he's going to do his own uh ventures in in crypto uh yeah obviously not associated with uh punks so oh so he sold it for 10 mil yeah, because he was going to try... Oh, he to... didn't buy it for 10 mil. I don't think that was to right. No, right? no. So Punk4156 uh, sold his Punk. Uh, and I, I thought the joke was 0x NFT bought it, but I do not know. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I didn't look deeply into it. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. You know, I guess, like, the NFT market... That was that was one of the biggest news for the NFTs. Yeah, I I don't I can't confirm if he bought uh, the punk or not right now. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. This is kind of he he posted right after retweeting someone that he said that he has a course on right click saving coming out soon. So <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Um, um yeah yeah okay um yeah and so kind of off off the punk news we kind of see that the the funks the fake punks have kind of pumped um afterwards um yeah after this news and they've kind of like that's the copyright free yeah that's the copyright free like punks right yeah the ones that's like looking looking over to the left yes yeah exactly so those have started to rally in price. Um, yeah, I don't need to speculate too much there because I, I think it's just kind of more of a in the heat of a moment kind of a rally more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I think the momentum could could continue with the funks, but at the same time, it, it's yeah, I think it's more of a solo news kind of a thing. Um. Yeah, what else here? So Polygon acquires uh, Mirror Protocol, which is like a ZK roll-up. Uh, that was some news that came out today. And I think that's the reason why Matic has been pumping here recently. Yeah, they have a lot of... They, they target a lot of the uh, market around ZK, uh, the trend. Because they also have um, the other protocol called uh, Hermits. Right, that that's ZK roll up, and I think they acquired that like three, four months ago already. It's a pretty big deal. I think. So technically, you know, with Starknet coming out, um, there's pretty much no other like EVM compatible like you know network layer one that's like uh, ZK and ZK oh ZK roll ups at least not not ZK snarks but ZK roll ups and for scaling. And even though, like, I don't know how ready it is on Polygon, but like, they can they can say whatever they want, right? And technically, it's they are a layer one. They have plans down the line for secret rollup, and that's good enough. So, okay, so I'm in the in the article. It did say zk solution, so there might be a little bit of a difference between zk solution and zk rollup. I just put zk rollup. Um, yeah, people overall like... are even still confused for like you know what uh, what it means. Like the only the technology breakthrough is Starknet and Zika rollup for scaling, not for privacy, right? But even a lot of the privacy you know solutions that just has the word ZK is popular. So people are mostly still confused. Oh yeah. Okay. So I see, I see the difference there. It might not be a roll up, but it could be like privacy where essentially. Yeah, I think um, uh, the ZK trend with Immutable is, is kind of starting to heat up quite a bit too. Anything associated with ZK Sync and Starknet is looks like will be the next narrative that they pump. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, on the ZK stuff, you know, uh, I'm quite bullish on ZK tech as a sidechain, L2, or whatever you guys want to call it, because it sometimes kind of crosses over paths. The reason why is because uh, not just the scalability, but the privacy feature. So if you take a look at 
on-chain gaming where a lot of it is not happening on-chain, whether it's because of infrastructure limitations or because of privacy, like you don't want to be enable like transparency of your players X, Y, and Z. Um, it means that they'll probably need to opt for a ZK solution to kind of um, as for like from a, a like a, a fit solution to kind of meet the needs of like on-chain gameplay. So I'm, I'm actually really bullish when it comes down to ZK. So I think what Polygon is doing is quite very smart because uh, with Starcore, when they first launched out, you know, uh, they've been doing a really good job and kind of plugging with a lot of these projects. So, you know, if ZK becomes the thing when it comes down to L2 or sidechains, they would pretty much dominate the entire market share. If everyone goes and wants ZK tech for um, layer two for gaming and that kind of bit. So they're doing a pretty smart move in trying to acquire. They're basically acquiring like not necessarily just the tech, but the talent um, when it comes down to the ZK space. Because if you take a look at that deal, like 300 mil deal, which 200 mil is in, you know, Matic Polygon tokens, 100 mil is in USDC, but still it's also based on vesting terms, three years and based on milestones. So, you know, it's it's a big number, but I think at the end of the day, I mean, there's probably a lot of terms for them to kind of, uh, kind of get all that money. But I think Polygon is pretty much aware that ZK might be the next thing and they want to make sure that they're kind of prepared in case it be, does become the next big thing in competition with Starkware. So I think everyone should look at Starkware, I mean, ZK kind of going forward. This is kind of just a dumb question just to, to tail off on top of that. So does that, do you think, uh, optimism would be kind of obsolete at that point or do you think there would still be room for optimism i don't know i mean i guess it really depends on what's the um the requirements of a dapp whether they really need privacy or not and whether maybe they just need better um bridging and scalability versus the privacy future so when it comes down to maybe like spot dexes, maybe you don't really need privacy, but I think for derivatives uh, trading, you probably need um, in case you want to kind of trade a big in size without other people knowing your positions. Um, so I think it really depends on the DApps requirements of what a successful app would look like. So I think, again, that's the same case with you know, do we have a one-chain world or a multi-chain world? So then, you know, I'm for a multi-chain world because every chain has its own, like, cost and benefit analysis based based on decentralization, security, and scalability. Okay, I like that answer. Um, definitely... So StarkNet is the, they're the ones with the mainnet live right now, currently, right? Yeah, they launched it, I think, about two weeks ago. Okay. 
Yeah. Um, build on that. <laughs> no, I, I, I think, um, yeah, like, we'll probably see a lot, another, because like, I do see a lot of, like, projects kind of building, like, each ecosystem kind of maturing a lot more, like the older layer ones. Um, so, yeah, the, like the layer ones and layer twos, I think would be, you know, pretty good long-term bet at the moment, just as the ecosystem gets more matured and, you know, um, they have more and more kind of like pro- um, projects or, you know, like different DeFi or NFT ecosystem or whatever that's kind of like being built on top. Because I think, yeah, like it's still very, very nascent in terms of, you know, like what these ecosystems have, right? Like compared to what their market cap is. So, yeah. Um, Just like, um, like individual chains, like the technology is. is starting to show itself as um, some chains are defined and even some technology are designed with just better but for certain things like um, I think like maybe three examples like uh, you know if you want a million dollar NFT you probably only want it on ETH because that's the most you know longest provenance chain and the the one that was most trustworthy and then yeah if you have like DeFi stuff um like a lot of games are going into bsc yeah games like yeah yeah, that's really interesting yeah uh it's like fees and then low finality so you your interaction needs to be fast not just quick not just cheap but then like um it seems also the next thing is like dk it's like rng a lot of these things are currently just using like Chainlink to like get a oracle to tell them a random number but maybe for for betting that doesn't even work and then there are other things that needs more privacy that like oracles can't solve it's not just a random number generation so and yeah this is like a lot of i see people hyping this up like games on you know zika rollups on building on starknet or building on immutable x are just more trendy and i think they have um it, it is starting to be some somewhat reasonable just like uh, if you're building a game on yeast like i wouldn't play it because it's or play the wrong game because it just doesn't work like people can't afford it so use cases like that um well marketed could be could be good trends i think yeah what's uh, what's like what, what about the other protocols like what's uh i, I mean like I know Harmony is coming up, so I kind of want to skip Harmony. But what about like near um, AVAX, Solana? Uh, Terra has been doing pretty well with DeFi side. So like, do do these like do you guys are you guys seeing any, like any of the categorical niche that's being built on you know some of these like other layer ones? Yeah, so I I think seeing like on Avalanche and Luna, like I think we're seeing more of like a decentralized um, 
like a like a cheaper layer um like a cheaper ethereum essentially like a decentralized um layer with finance and nfts um we're like solana like we did kind of have that narrative sprout out but i'm seeing like the, some of the some of their most successful projects be like gaming and like i see more of the narrative like switch towards like gaming for um uh, for solana um mm. and then kind of like with with bsc like building on like virtual bacon's point um, a lot of these gaming chains, and this is something to be said for Ronin too, I think, um, the centralization around them, I think is going to be bigger for like gaming devs and whatnot, because I think there's going to be issues with, um, there's likely going to be issues with like the, the in-game, uh, items that they issue and, um, kind of like the the exploits that go on inside the, the games i think they're going to need um to revoke a lot of those nfts on the marketplace so a, more of a centralized chain would be uh would fit their needs overall i think and then kind of like so, a lot of these other layers are kind of still figuring out their their overall niche i think and like i think like near would be a great example of that um, like Matic, I still think would be a great example of that, and a lot of these other L ones. Yeah, Matic's, I mean, like Matic's been pretty aggressive in terms of um, onboarding like a lot of GameFi and you know, like Metaverse. Because I, I see them like just spreading out like twenty, thirty grants, like you know, to anything that. Remotely looks good. Yeah, they've been really aggressive with Polygon Labs and just pushing out stuff yeah. through that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's good for them, right? Like, it's definitely a game where the more people you can get to, like, start building our eco now, the better, right? Mm -hmm. And trying to get them to commit verbally even is a really good, right? Like, it all helps with bringing the right projects and eventually TBL to your platform in the long-term con. So, I get what they're trying to do there. So yeah, I'm so late. I, I just no, no my meetings. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, yeah, Maddox been pretty aggressive. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's I think going play. forward. I Go think ahead. going forward, you'll see a lot of gaming come out of uh, Solana. I mean, given they have a 200 mil gaming fund, um, with JV with Lightspeed, and then again, BSC has another 200 million dollar fund, JV with Animoca. So you see a lot of gamings go over there. I think when it comes down to uh, Luna, I think the reasons why it's so DeFi-centric and focused is because of its USD, right? It's a decentralized currency. So it kind of makes sense that all the DeFi, DeFi kind of surrounds the decentralized currency, which is Terra USD. Um, and one of the reasons why I think like Luna is so popular is because of the stable coin. If you take a look at um, the network effect, the biggest way to have a network effect on your protocol is the stable coin. If you take a look, take a look at all the top projects, how they created network effects is basically by producing a tether version of their network, right? Solana has, you know, tether like stable coin, 
same goes for Tron, et cetera. So the best way to create network effect is through the stablecoin. And then I think that's why another reasons why like, you know, Terra is so successful, Luna, is because like they have a stable coin. It's now eight bill market cap. Um and it keeps rising in terms of market cap. Um but that's something to kind of, I guess, what I've noticed from a macro side in terms of successful projects is the networks that have a stable coin, um, like a USD Tether version especially, end up doing quite well. And that's probably just because of the composability feature of the Tether and the, the value that's being moved across from chain to chain. It's a good mm-hmm. Great analysis, by the way, by Nam. Like, he, he is so right about that. Like, projects that revolve around stablecoin swaps or are related to stables in some way, shape, or form, whether it's even even the earliest stages of DeFi, right? Like, you know, Aave and Compound, they did well because they allowed stable yields, right? And then we look at projects like Curve, who stand as the top of all this, just around stable-centric swaps, right? Super important. And then now we have Terra, who has a stablecoin that, is being used quite immensely. Like it, it, anything that is good for a DeFi product revolves around these stable coins. And I honestly think those are really good bets. Whenever you see a project building a stable that has some sort of backing tied to it, like those will do well. I, I, I do want to also make a comment on something too. Um, Cause you're saying a lot of ecosystem projects are going to be coming from Solana. They're definitely going to be like for gaming projects, right? A lot of gaming projects are definitely going to come on Solana. Binance has a billion dollar fund and then I think Avalanche and Harmony are going to fall behind compared to anyone else like other than Solana, Matic and um, Binance because I don't know I for some reason majority of game projects I see raising they they go on Binance Smart Chain I don't know if it's because there's just a large amount of games out there or it's just because they're trying to get no it's so it's apparently because of um, the BSC penetration compared to all the other chain is like 85% in Southeast Asia. Then that's probably why. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah. most Asian traders yeah. are on Binance anyways, right? So. And a lot of these guilds and like, um, you know, a lot of players right now are on basically like those regions, right? So it makes sense for games to kind of like you know, rotate to where their players are and where their users are, and you know, a lot of them are on Binance because you know they just can't afford it. I, I want to ask a question to Nam while I'm here because he's working or he's been an angel investor in Sandbox, right? Um, I was very curious to hear your thoughts on land aggregators, right? Like basically an AMM for buying land. I think it's really early, but like there's some products out there like Meat Parcel that are building products all about like um, land market making. And let's say, for example, Snoop Dogg's Metaverse gets built on, on Sandbox, right? And people want to buy the land surrounding it, in essence. Like, what is your thoughts on that whole entire um, AMM being built out? And like, do you think that's also like a core infrastructure for other in-game products? You know what? To be honest, like even though I'm an angel investor, like the reasons why I invested into Sandbox is not because of like the stuff that's happening today. Um, so like I haven't really been following with a lot of the stuff that's been happening. Of course, like I knew about the Snoop and that kind of bit, but like in terms of the aggregators, etc., 
So I, do, I actually honestly don't follow a lot of the stuff that's happening like in this game, GameFi, that kind of stuff. Uh, most of my time has been spent on like the data side of a lot of this stuff. That's why I can kind of speak to things like the Solana, you know, StarkNet, et cetera, because I'm actually like plugged into a lot of these chains and I actually like look at the data real time. So I just don't have that much time to kind of look at the game stuff. So the only, I mean, the, but then the only reasons why I invested into Sandbox was because of the metaverse play, number one, back in 2018, uh, because I'm also invested on a v, in a VR company uh, that's invested by Anderson because of like Ready Player One. So I was like a huge fan of watching Ready Player One. So then Sandbox VR is like, a company that I invested in, but they don't do crypto. And then uh, with Sandbox, it was more like a metaverse play. And the other thing is, is that when it comes down to building games, because I have a lot of friends that um, have our game publishers or have sold their companies to Zigna. And they've told me that making games is like one of the hardest things to do because you don't know if the game will do well until it launches. So I was really kind of like risk like conservative when it comes down to investing in gameplays. So the only reasons why I invest in Sandbox is because since it's a metaverse, they can kind of pivot any way they want to. Versus if you kind of design a certain game a certain way with a gameplay, if nobody likes it, all that money investment goes to zero. So just to kind of give you some background of the Sandbox stuff, um, but in terms of that latest stuff that's been happening, I really haven't been following because I just, I just don't really have that much time. <laughs> yeah, because like, yeah, like I can kind of speak to that a little bit as well. Um, did Brian just leave? Yeah, got his offline left. Yeah, David, I don't think he's office. heard any of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, dude, I don't think you hear any of your, any of your uh, uh, spiel. Uh, but uh, yeah, like whoever's kind of like listening still, like because like we're the we're one of the largest landowners right now um, on Sandbox. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting play. I think he mentioned like aggregators. I think that's going to be very interesting. And, uh, uh, I, I think. It's not the immediate next step, but maybe one step, you know, like kind of like distance. So like next, next step where, you know, like once you have like communities kind of building on, you know, like these deep lands and metaverse, um, there are like once the value is created, not just like the speculative value, but actual like, you know, proof of work value that's like put into these lands, which is the which is what needs to happen in order for these lands to have actual value, I think. Uh, but once that happens, I do feel like, um, you know, something like aggregators or like guys like Parcel who are, you know, being able to like rent some of these out um, because, um, you know, like that becomes an asset class that, you know, like a lot of like um, traditional investment vehicles can be kind of applied to kind of like read um where like you you start you know crowdsourcing a lot of these lands and you know based on the revenue that, that's being generated um you can do like um you know swap um with like a you know like traditional interest rates from DeFi or you know something like that right where 
it, it like those product ideas become possible and like you know get early um early i guess like um liquidity or cash flow from selling those products and there might be institutions or you know like aggregators themselves can like kind of price those products and you know be able to um sell those like sell those um i guess this would be like a land back um swaps or land back like uh you know uh like i guess land back uh, uh you know products right so i feel like yeah, like those aggregators are very interesting, but not only only when I feel like when the lands are um, able to create value through like communities proof of work. Um, so that's uh, yeah, that's that's one of the things that I I was thinking about as well. I, I've been thinking about a lot of private equity models that kind of could be applied to um, crypto as crypto ventures and. That was definitely one of the ideas that, you know, I was kind of for. Yeah. I think for like lands, it gets quite interesting when um, you start renting it out because land is kind of getting expensive. And then you're, you already have like these cities where it's just like in normal cities where you have hotspots like, you know, Hollywood, Hong Kong, et cetera. So in these virtual worlds, you have these hotspots. So it gets interesting where, like, let's say there's a hot spot within the land plot, like, and then, you know, I can afford to buy that land and you're probably never going to sell it to me. But if you could rent it to me for me to kind of throw an event, advertise, et cetera, I think that's kind of a, an interesting type of model that mm -hmm. will probably at some point come in. Like, whether it's, you know, rather than buying land next to uh, Snoop or baby, or basically just borrowing the land next to Snoop or borrowing his land to throw an event, I think that's where um, it gets quite interesting and starts to kind of look a lot more like the real world today in terms of how ownership works. Yeah, I think the, uh, like, you know, th there's going to be a lot of, uh, the reason why I say it's like, you know, these products are kind of like next, next step is because I don't really think people have figured out, you know, how to, what the utility of these lines are. Um, because like, yeah, like, Obviously, like if you have the utility, things like you know Axi, where you can breed and fight, um, and there's like eels that are coming out of that, then you know like you can like and those assets have now like those like you know um, axes have value, then you can rent them out, and you know there's a there's like a there's a business model that kind of like gets created within that you know like people who are who can't afford it, you know like you know can rent them out and you know fight them, and you know like the proof of work kind of like gets them, you know, like, um, a little bit of, like, pay, as well as, like, the guys who are renting it out. So it's, like, the, the land, you know, owner, um, and I, I guess, like, the landlord and the tenant model kind of, like, gets its voice, even in, a, like, an axi model, right? But the only thing right now with the lands are, you know, there's there's not, there, there's no utility like that. There's, there's no income generating or revenue generating or yield generating activity that, you know, like that people have figured out or like people have been using. So yeah, once I think um, the, the utility, and I think it's because of the, the, the early stages of all these like mega games like Sandbox and, you know, Central Island, I just feel like they, they, like their market cap kind of like 
ran past their progress and like they're they're, they're playing catch up at the moment. So, yeah. Um, on the the Axie lands, um, to speak on what they're doing, um, they're going to have crafting in their next, uh, like in their land updates. And so with this, they're going to have like materials like in their land updates. So like, let's say you need wood um, for, you know, like a shield or whatever. Um, if you have the parcel of land that has the tree that the people cut down, the, um, the Axie players, then you would get a percentage of the, the wood that they uh, cut down. And that's kind of how these models are going to work in the future is like, in Axie's case anyways, is like they're just going to take like a percentage of um, the, of the revenue generated on your land. So like in, the obvious example right now is like the crafting and like, oh, if I mine gold on Garlem's land, then Garlem gets 5% of gold. Um, the more advanced, like, future, uh, like, metaverse um, idea around it is, like, when I eventually set up shop on Garlem's land and I have my own metaverse uh, Axie, like, uh, cosmetic shop, each sale that I get of my Axie skins... Garland would get a cut of this, whether it's an ETH or like AXS or SLP or whatever the token is. Like that's kind of the future um, value proposition. Of these lands, it's like Garland. You might not own the land, but you own the store on top of the land, and like that's kind of the the revenue that you generate is pushed back to the landowners. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, it's like the traditional land model. I, I do hope that we kind of get away from this whole physical, I don't know, barrier of like, I don't know, like the, the literal definition of like, I mean, it's, it's virtual. I feel like there, there's a lot more models that we can come up with rather than just like using the traditional, like physical, like traditional thinking that's like grounded by the, you know, like the uh, limitations of the physical world where you know like you have a land and you have you know like the a, a shop that on, sits on top of the land i do feel like there you don't really need to you know do that anymore if it's in the digital world so like that I, I, i'm trying to look for projects and like you know pro, uh uh things that you know kind of like um gets away from the physical limitations of the world but yeah, yeah. I mean, like that's one of the use cases, I guess. And it it is the 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 most easiest way to start, you know, finding business model is just like copy and paste from the physical world that we have. So, um, yeah, yeah. But I, I am hoping to see if there's a there's a like a really innovative model where you know um, you're not grounded by the physical realities anymore. But yeah. Um, I think that's good. Yeah, I do want to wrap it up. Um, you know, it's uh, been going at it for a while. So, um, yeah, let's wrap it up here. Thanks for coming on board, David. That was really helpful.